Father, we just give you praise and we thank you. We thank you for this session. We need you. And we want to let you know we need you. And so, Lord, we give you praise for it. Every ear is anointed to hear. Hearts are anointed to receive. And we'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Okay. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This session we want to spend time talking about um, the real truth about born again. And in this you're going to find out that your identity is the most important part if you want to address behavior. What we've done up until now, we have gotten involved in something called behavior modification. So we try to modify the person's behavior instead of correcting how they believe about their identity. Your identity will determine your behavior. It's not your behavior that determines your identity, but what's happened is people have allowed their identity to be determined by how they behave. So if they behave bad, then it tells them that they are bad. And so we have an identity that we have in Christ. If we can locate that and stick with it, then our behavior will never again determine who we are and determine our identity. In this, we will reconcile the sin issue and really begin to understand what we need to do and say to people so they can be set free from their sin. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, I just want you to notice these two things. I'm going to read out of 2 Corinthians 7 and then Acts chapter 8 and we'll begin. Now, 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Verse uh, 2, Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. That's pretty interesting to read here where Paul is talking here and he said we have wronged no man we've condemned no man we've corrupted no man now I got a problem with that because if I just read this right here it seems like we have just caught the apostle Paul in a lie I have wronged no man I've defrauded no man what's he talking about in fact I'll take you to Acts chapter 8 and show you show you him doing exactly that in, in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 so, you know, not only, I, I, not only have I feel like I caught him in a lie, I, let, me, let me show you the lie. Acts chapter 8, and look at verses 1 and 3. Now, notice Paul uses, right here, he uses the name before he became Paul, Saul. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women and committed them to prison. Now we need to reconcile this. What, what's happening? See, 
He's sitting up here talking about he has wronged no man, he's corrupted no man. And we looked over here and he's wronging every house and I'm impacting everybody. So, so what's the deal here? Here is a wonderful illustration. Oh, let me, use, let me show you one more. Go to Acts 20 and verse uh, 26. Acts 20 and verse 26. Verse 26 says, Wherefore I take you to record this day, to record this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men. Paul said, I am pure from the blood of all men. And they take St St uh, uh, Stephan out and bury him. <laughs> he, was, he was behind the stoning. All right, now watch this. What we have here is a case of, in the book of Acts, that was Saul. But in Acts 20, 26 and 2 Corinthians chapter 7, that was Paul. Say, no, it's the same person. Uh uh. Saul represented who he was before he got in Christ. Paul was who he is now that he's in Christ. Now, I'm sure we all recognize the old man we used to have. And somebody might come up to you thinking they know you because they knew you from the past. But if they don't know you now that you're in Christ, they don't know you. They knew the old you. And how many of you know the old you had a whole lot of stuff that happened that you're not proud of? But we're no longer talking about the old you. You got to dismiss the old you just like Paul did. Paul refused to have any type of identity with the old. He would not accept any responsibility for what Saul did. Because in Christ, everything he said is true. A newborn baby doesn't have a past. And what's happened is a lot of times Christian people have gotten saved with their past. But if you get a newborn baby doesn't have a past. And us who are born again, we don't have a past. You're not guilty for what happened. You ain't got no past. Paul said, I've wronged no man. You saw him and when Saul, he said, no, that was Saul. Paul, the one you see now in Christ, I have wronged no man. The one you see now, you, I, all of the blood, I am completely free from the blood of everybody else. That's how we got to, to, to carry ourselves, and that's how we got to teach other people to carry themselves. Do not have any relationship with the old you. You are no longer the Saul, you are the Paul. Now, in this lies a great truth of identity, a truth that says, I no longer identify with who I used to be. I will identify with who I am in Christ. Because if you don't do that, then your behavior from the past will keep telling you you're, Paul, you're Saul. And you'll ignore your identity that you've achieved, achieved in Christ. And you've got to let it all go. It's, you don't bring that stuff up. Listen, 
what you did when you were Saul is what you did, who you, who you were when you were Saul. You're not Saul no more. You're Paul. You're Paul. Now, I've got to convince you of the finality of your identity once you're born again. This is not just something, a play on words. This is something that is absolutely the truth, something that you have to understand in order to get out of this thing that, that I feel is stopping a lot of Christians. So if you can't change what you believe, you can't change your life. Wrong believing puts people in, in bondage. It puts people in prison. Right believing is a light that lights up your path to freedom out of prison. Now, John chapter eight, verse, verse 32, Jesus said this concerning the Jews of his day. Uh, look what he said, and this is, this is, he said, and you shall know the truth. Um, go back to verse 31. Uh, John chapter eight, verse 31. Then said Jesus to who? To who? To who? To who? He was talking to who? Jesus said this to the Jews which believed on him. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said this to the Jews of his day, those who grew up studying and learning the law. So Jesus was talking to those who grew up studying, learning the law, saying to the Jews of his day that you need to get out from, look at 31 again. He's talking to Jewish people who studied and lived by the law. He's talking to Jewish people who understood the law. And he was saying to them, if you continue my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, those of you who are under the law. So obviously under the law, you didn't know the truth. And the truth shall make you what? Free. Now, John chapter 117 says that uh, the law came by Moses and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace is the truth that Jesus came to give us. Grace is the truth that Jesus came to give us. Grace is the truth that has the power to set you free from fear, guilt, and shame, and addiction. It is the truth of grace and not of the law that brings you true freedom. So his grace is the antidote to counteract every poison in your mind. So we focus on living right without paying attention to believing right. We focus on living right without paying attention to focusing on believing right. And so that's what Christian people do. I gotta live right, I gotta live right, but they don't believe right. And if you don't believe right, you can't live right. So wrong believing in the area of our identity will and can have a negative impact on our destiny. If we believe wrong concerning who we are, then the end of that is gonna impact our destiny. Now, let's look at some things real quick here. Um, go to, um, go to 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. I just want to look at some scripture. I think this will really, really help us out here. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man beware. So something happens when you're in Christ. In Christ, you have the new identity. 
Therefore, if, you're, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? He's a what? He's a what? So in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things are what? Behold, how many things are new? How many things are new? Okay, so now that I'm in Christ, key phrase here is in Christ, I'm a new creation. All right, so, you know, you may have known Cruffalo, uh, you know, years back, but if you hadn't met me since I've been in Christ, you don't know Cruffalo. And I'm a new creation. Uh, you can't count any of the things that I did as a part of who I am today. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. All right, now, how, how thick is this? How thick is this thing, man? Uh, let's go through it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, excuse me. Ephesians 4, 24. Now, I'm, I'm going to say all these things. I'm trying to show it to you in Scripture because once I go to Romans 6, it's going to get very radical. Because we're going to deal with the sinning that people still do versus all this stuff that the script, these scriptures are saying. Ephesians 4.24, and that you put on the what? Amen. New man, which after God is created in and Okay, so I, got, I was holy the day I got in him. I said I was holy the day I got in him. I say I was righteous the day I got in him. See, you're thinking I got to do something to become holy and I got to do something to become righteous. I did. I got in him. In him, I am holy. You are as holy as you're ever going to get once you get in Christ. The day you got in Christ, you're, you're as holy as you're ever going to be. The day you got in Christ, you are as righteous as you're ever going to be. You are not going to be any more holy or righteous than you were the day you got in Christ because it is not you. It's not your holiness or your righteousness is you are a partaker of of his identity and in him as he is. So are we. OK, you got to believe that somehow religion has gotten you to think, well, I'm not holy yet until I do these things. Well, I'm not righteous yet until I do these things. Well, now all of a sudden you're having more faith in what you can do instead of having more faith in what Jesus has already done for you. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. All right, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Well, now let's go to Hebrews 12, 23. Hebrews 12 and 23. Tell you what, this is, this is important. Verse 23 says, to the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God and the judge of all things, and to the spirits of just men. The spirits of just men made what? The spirit of just men made what? Now, I got to tell you this. Your, your born-again spirit, the day you got born again, your born-again spirit was made perfect. I said, the day you got born again, your born again spirit was made perfect. 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 A third of you is already perfect. 
A third of you is already heaven ready. In fact, uh, if you look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, Colossians 1 and 20, excuse me, 28, Colossians 1 and 28. Verse 28 says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, what? Perfect, what? In Christ. See, the only time I can tell you I'm perfect is when I tell you I'm in Christ. I can't say I'm perfect out, out of Christ, but now that I'm in Christ, I'm perfect. I'm perfect in Christ. I'm holy. I'm holy in Christ. I'm righteous. I'm righteous in Christ. Now, here's the problem. The problem is the reservation that people have to accept that is also the reservation they have to accept their new identity. For you to accept anything other than what we just said, you're having problems with your new identity, and the only way you can change your behavior is trying to modify it instead of accepting who you are in Christ. You're thinking that it's a process for you to be holy. Uh-uh. The manifestation of the fruit of it is a process, but you became holy the very day that, that you meet, and you have got to start agreeing with your identity. I am holy. I am, I am perfect. Boy, that's, if you don't think that'll curl somebody's hair, you go to somebody and say, I'm perfect in Christ. What? You, you trying to say you don't make mistakes? No, I'm trying to tell you I'm perfect in Christ. Oh, I'm perfect in Christ. In Christ, I'm perfect. I don't have to try to get ready to, to go to heaven. I am heaven ready. I don't even have to go and get shine my spirit up and redo it a little bit. I am heaven ready right now. Why are you worried about going to heaven when you're already seated with him in heavenly places? I, do you realize the freedom that will bring people if you will start teaching them who they are? So what I'm doing in this, this, this session, I am reintroducing you to yourself. And we need to go around the body of Christ and reintroduce everybody to who they really are. They keep thinking they are Saul when actually they are Paul. And as long as they keep thinking like Saul, they're going to act like Saul. But when they start thinking they're like Paul, then they're going to act like Paul. And you cannot tell people that, uh, you know, you are, uh, you are righteous when you do good only. That's behavior modification. And people will never become what they need to become. If you understand that, say amen. amen. Let's go to the next area. Um, uh, Hebrews 12. Let's go to 1 John 3, 9. That, that, that's a good one. 1 John 3, 9. No, 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 no. Have, have we looked at Ephesians 1, 13? Oh, yeah. Look at Ephesians 1, 13. Now, I'm working on something here. If you can get this. You can tell the truth about being born again. Ephesians 1.13, in whom, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of grace, of your salvation, and whom also, after that you believed, after you believed this gospel, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Do you know what it means when you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? That means the day you got born again, you got in Christ, you were sealed with him, glory to God. The bad can't get in and the good can't get out. I said the bad can't get in and the good can't get out. You stuck on him, he stuck on you. I've said to people, so when you sin, 
your spirit never sinned because it's sealed with the Holy Spirit. Your spirit does not participate in any sin that your unrenewed mind and your body participated in. The real you is not your body. The real you is not your soul. The real you is your spirit. You are not a body. You are not your soul. You are a spirit being. You don't have a spirit being. You are a spirit being. When you got born again, it was your spirit that was impacted from that decision. Your body was still the same size. And if you weren't too smart before you got saved, you used to the same way. Nothing changed but your spirit. Your spirit got in Christ and was sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. That's the real you. That's where your identity issue has got to start from. If you understand that, say amen. Now, let's go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. I'm almost through with this foundation. This is a very important foundation. Knowing who you are. I'm born again. My spirit is perfect. It's sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. I do not listen. I am, I am heaven ready right now today. Now, while I'm talking all of this, your mind may be thinking, yeah, but what about sin? Yeah, but what about sin? Yeah, but what about sin? That's what I'm saying. You're just so sin conscious you can't even hear what I'm telling you about your new identity. What about sin? What about sin? What about sin? I'm going to get to the what about sin, but you need to, what about your new identity? What about all these scriptures that we're talking about so far? Now look at 1 John 3, 9. You'll finally be able to look at this one and understand it. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Boy, that has caused some problems in the body of Christ. But when you understand spirit, soul, and body, you know exactly what he's talking about. What part of you is born of God? Your body? No. Your soul? No. What part of you is born of God? Your spirit. Whosoever is born of God, your spirit does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. The only part of your tripart being that was born of God was your spirit. Your spirit born of God, cannot sin. <laughs> I love this stuff, man. It, can, yeah, it cannot sin. Now imagine what your life would be like if you, you, you went ahead and accepted that. But the reason why you can't accept it because you still sin. You didn't correct me. I'll go and correct myself. The reason why you can't accept it is because you think the real you sins still. I know. Now, listen to me carefully now. I think I'm ready to say this. When you die physically, what do you leave behind on the planet? Your body. The spirit and soul goes, right? But it leaves something behind. Now, how many of you know that when we were born in this earth, we were born with a free moral agency and we were born with the capacity of sin because we had the sin nature in us. The sin nature was on the inside of you. Now watch this. That sin nature on the inside, the day you got saved, passed. It died. It was replaced with the new creation. Hallelujah. 
So you have on the inside of you not the nature to be children of the devil. You now have the new creation to be a child of God. When you got born again, the old root, sin nature, departed. The new root, new creation, was implanted. But when the old you died, it left something behind. It left behind the influence on your mind. The influence of sin was left behind on your mind. Your software was still the same. You got a new root, but you still got the same software. You still have that same mindset to sin. And your body just, just carries it out. You put a software in the computer system, but you have to have the hardware to be able to get an output. Now listen to me carefully now. The problem we have had in understanding and how to reconcile sin is because we read every scripture as if it is the verb action sinning. When in most cases, in Romans chapter 6, every time the word sin is used except one time in verse 15, it is a noun referring to the sin nature. Now, I want us to go to Romans 6, and we're going to go through Romans 6, and we're going to show you what it means to be free from the sin nature. And the day you can believe this identity, sinning will be something of the past. Now, will you still miss the mark? Yeah, but when you miss the mark, you just go and renew your mind on that thing that you missed. But it will not affect your, your born-again spirit. Now, we've, we've tried to find all kinds of ways in religion to try to convince people that uh, there's no way you can avoid sinning. That's because you don't know what the, the issue is. The issue is not, I mean, if, if this thing about I'm a sinner saved by grace, well, that's crazy. If I'm a sinner and then saved by grace still makes me a sinner, then why get saved? The Bible says after you're saved, you're called a saint. You're not a sinner saved by grace. I mean, which one are you? I mean, that's, a, that's like bipolar. Well, you better, you're either you're a sinner or you've been saved by grace. Which one? See, I am not a sinner. For you to call yourself a sinner is for you to dishonor the blood of Jesus that removed it. So either you is or you ain't. You think you are a sinner because you sin. Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. Sin nature made you a sinner. The, the, the apples on the apple tree doesn't make you an apple tree. It's the root that made it an apple tree. Are, are you listening to me now? The root makes you an apple tree. People don't go to hell for sinning. People go to hell for rejecting Jesus. <laughs> We've made sinning the big thing. And now some of you are saying, well, are you trying to make it a little thing? Uh-uh. But you're so sin conscious, you can't see your identity. Sinning actions don't make me a sinner. 
me not being born again and still having the nature or the root to sin is what makes me a sinner. All right, what makes you a Christian? Because you come to church. What makes you a Christian? Because you read your Bible. What makes you a Christian? Christ living in you is what makes you a Christian. You are not a Christian because you do everything flawless. You are a Christian because Jesus lives in you. That's what makes me a Christian. Well, does Jesus live in you? Yeah. Well, the big question is, well, if Jesus lives in me, then why are you sinning actions? Right? That's the big question is, is people want to know how to stop sinning. Well, I, I can tell you that right away. Your identity will determine your behavior. But we've continued to allow our behavior to determine our identity. And if you don't square this issue of your identity away, you will keep behaving wrongly because your thinking and believing is wrong about your identity. I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. And the day you believe that, you'll start doing right. All right? Everybody follow me? Okay, I think I got the foundation out there that I, I need in order to say this. So let's go to Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. Romans 6 and 1. I'm going to try to finish this because I know you're going to have loads of questions. You already know. See, we're talking about being transformed. And real transformation happens when we discover who we really are. Transformation starts with right believing. You know, often we speak about repentance as a change of behavior. No, a change of behavior is the fruit of repentance. A change of behavior comes as a result of you changing your mind about your identity. As soon as you change your mind about who you are, then you're going to produce the fruit of a changed behavior. But as long as real repentance doesn't take place, the changed behavior might not last long. So repentance is a decision that results in a change of mind, which is in turn leads to a change of purpose and action. A change of belief comes first. And as we change our mind about who we are, as we change our belief about who we are, then the fruit of this repentance will be a changed behavior a change behavior that will remain because you've repented about who you are. Don't ever again say I'm a sinner, saved by grace. That's the most outrageous, one of the most dishonorable things you can speak in the presence of God. I am a sinner, you are a saint. You are no longer a sinner. For you to say you are a sinner means that Christ came in you and didn't change your identity. You are not a sinner, you are a saint. Jesus lives in you, Christ lives in you, which makes you a Christian. You are not a sinner because you sin. You are a sinner because the sin nature is in you. Is the sin nature still in you? No. Well, I am a, no longer a sinner because I sin. Feel a holy. I know what's going in your head. The same thing went in my head. I was careful to even say amen, man, when I heard this thing preached. I know what's going on in your head. Yeah, but what about sin? What about sin? You can't even hear me because you're just, what about sin? What about sin? What about sin? You can't preach this to people. What about sin? If you tell people this, they're just going to go out and sin. No, I've told thousands of people this and they have stopped sinning so much. Why? Because they accept their new identity. 
And that's what we're doing with a, a group of teenagers right now. We're telling them, you ain't nothing but a thug. You ain't no good. I well, I mean, you know, they're just acting and behaving just like you're trying to get them to identify with it. Instead of going in there and saying, that's not you. You don't do things like that. You're the righteousness of God. I am? Yes, you are. Accept that and you'll, you'll stop doing what you do. But we keep trying to modify their behavior by trying to, you know, it, it, it doesn't work. All right. You ready? I think you are. Romans chapter 6. All right, now, let me give you a little background here. This is important for the context. Sin is used 48 times in Romans, and only eight of those 48 times is it a verb talking about the action of sin. The rest of the times, it is a noun referring to the nature of sin, the sin nature which you were delivered from. So in chapter 6, only one time in chapter 6 is it used as a verb, and that is in verse 15. So the rest of the time, when you see the word sin used, we're going to translate it as a noun, which it is, versus a verb, and watch what you get out of it. Does everybody follow me? Remember, a noun is a person, place, a thing, all right? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin nature that grace may abound? Now notice what it says. Should we continue to do things by the sin nature so that grace may abound? Verse 2, God forbid, and look at the next three words, how shall we? He says, how in the world can you continue to sin or can, can you continue in the nature of the sin nature? How can you do it? He says, how can you? What do you mean, how can you? He says, how in the world are you going to continue in sin nature when the sin nature is not there anymore? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to the sin nature? I am dead to the sin nature. I am dead to the, when you get born again, you are dead to the sin nature. You are dead to the old man. Saul was so, Paul was so dead to the old man, he wouldn't even have any association with the old man. I am dead to it. Now, the problem is, is we keep trying to die to something that we're already dead to. Because in 1 Corinthians, read it, I think it's verse 5, chapter 15. We keep saying this, and it's not, that's not what it says. Paul died daily to sin. It didn't say he died daily to sin. Go back and read it. He died daily to persecution and tribulation, not sin. The problem with you saying you die daily to sin, how hard is it if I came to you and said, I need you to try to sit down and you're already seated? How frustrating is that? Come on now, try to sit down. Come on, come on, come on, try to sit down. You're already seated. How frustrating is that? It's the same thing when I keep trying to tell you every day, die to your sin, die to your sin. If you're dead to your sin, you're dead, meaning dead, not having to do it again. You're dead to sin. Say that, I'm dead to sin. All right, now I didn't say I'm dead to sinning. It says I'm dead to the nature of sin that produced sinning. I'm dead to the nature of sin. It's a noun. I'm dead to it. You keep trying to die to it. See, you're trying to die to the behavior. 
And you're not going to die to the behavior until you receive and accept that you are dead to the root that created the behavior. I'm dead to sin. Say it. I'm dead to sin. I don't need to die no more. I'm already dead to sin. So I know you're talking about you dying daily. You dead already. Died. It means never to be repeated. <laughs> Died means never to be repeated. You can't be telling me you died to sin daily or you never died the first day because died means never to be repeated. <laughs> How shall we that are dead to sin, never to be repeated again, live any longer therein? That's what Paul was just saying. Now, but you keep reading it as a verb. You read it like this. How shall we that are dead to sinning the action? He didn't say you were dead to sinning. He says you were dead to the nature of sin, the root of sin. You're dead to the old man. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life, just like he walked in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, knowing this, watch carefully, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve, and there it is again, sinning. That's not what he said. He was saying that your old man is what? What happened to your old man? Crucified. And the body of sin, what happened to that? It was destroyed. The old man, man now, body of sin now. He says the old man is crucified, body of sin is destroyed, that henceforth you should not serve the old man, the body of sin. You should not serve the noun. The old man, the body of sin. This word sin is a noun referring to the old man, the body of sin. You don't have to serve the old man no more because you're dead to the old man. And if you'll stay dead to the old man, you ain't got to serve him no more because you're dead to the old man. Died never to be repeated again. Verse 7, for he that is dead is what? Freed from what? Sin nature. Did he say he is free from sinning? He said he is free from the root that produced sin. You no longer have the root that produced sin. You're freed from the nature of sin. Now, I know I'm teaching this right now. And so I'm saying, yeah, but what about sinning? What about sinning? Come, just go with me. Come, go with me. Go with me to the Bahamas. Go with me. Eight. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also what? Live with him. All right, now. So if we're dead to the nature of sin, let's go ahead and answer the question because I need to get it off your mind so you can think about what I'm saying. If you're already dead to the nature of sin, the question is, the big elephant in the room is how come we still sin if we're dead to the nature of sin? Because when you die to the, to the old man, the old man I don't know how long you had the old man. 
But the old man died, but he left the influence of sin on your mind. Uh, how many of you have an iPhone or something like that? Uh, what happens with my iPhone is once they come out with a new iPhone, they kind of send me this message that it's time for a new download to update the phone. And what happens is, you know, I always they have to do it now or later, and I just press, I just press later. And then it comes up again, and then I hit later. And then what happens if I don't hurry up and do it, eventually my phone will start malfunctioning because my phone is in need of a down, the new download in order to continue to exist. And so what happens in the lives of people who have been born again is that they're born again and they're freed from their sin nature, but the reason why they keep behaving out of sin is because they won't receive the new download that comes with it. With every new creation comes a new download because you can get born again, but don't get a new download and continue sinning as if you still got the old man on the inside of you. So it is not because you got the old man in you that you're sinning. It's because you have an unrenewed mind that was not impacted when you got born again. And now that you have the new creation on the inside of you that already believes the word, you have the new man and you got the word of God and it is now your responsibility to receive the new download. And if you get the mind to think in line with your spirit, then it'll make your body get in line. So, so the problem is not I am still sinning because I am a sinner. The problem is you are a born-again Christian that's dead to the sin nature, but you don't renew your mind with the word of grace and you continue behaving out of line because this is what gets everything in line. And so if you are a member of a church that's not giving out the right downloads, you can be born again and still sinning because you don't receive the right download because right believing equals right living. That's... That's, that's, so when there is an area of your life where you're behaving wrong, it doesn't require you to question and doubt your identity. It just says, I need to renew my mind in that area. What does the word have to say in proper context about this thing that I'm doing? Renew your mind with the word, and then as a result of it, you, you eradicate that action off your software because you put a new download there. But we've been trying to live life as Christians with the old software. Even the president of the United States, when there's a new president that comes in, he's got to get a new cabinet. Or the things will continue the same unless he changes it. And the problem with us as Christians, so here's what Satan's on. He's used the old software in your mind. Guess what the Bible calls the old software in your mind that you that hadn't given a new download to? He calls it the flesh. The flesh is a way of thinking that goes against the word of God. The flesh is a way of thinking that goes against God's word. Walking in the flesh is walking in a way of thinking 
that's been unrenewed and goes against God's word. Walking in the spirit is also a way of thinking, but it is a way of thinking that lines up with the word. So if you're not spending time receiving the new downloads, if you don't ever address whatever software that's in your head from the old man when he was there, when the old man died, he left the old software called the flesh. And if you yield to the flesh, it will govern your life until you receive a new download. Does, does that make sense? How did we get so far off? We kept reading the noun sin like it was the verb sinning. And so in a sense, in our hearts, we kind of thought, well, if I'm delivered from sin, why am I sinning? Well, we got to an answer to that because you won't receive the new download. Renew your mind. And renewing the mind is not a one-time event. It's a lifetime process. It's a lifetime process. It's something you're doing all the time. I need to renew my mind to that. I need to see what God has to say about that. You know, stay away from opinions. And see, here's the sad thing about it, is that people come to church born again, but their preacher's not giving them a new download. They're continuing to give them the download of the law, and under the law is the consciousness of sin. Think what happens now that you got the grace of God and you can renew their minds with the grace of God and all of a sudden the condemnation is not there because when there's condemnation, condemnation is the foundation for fear. And when fear operates in a person's life, Satan can do anything he wants to do because fear acts like faith, like God needs faith in order to carry, bring, bring things to pass in your life. Satan needs fear in order to do the same thing. And whatever you fear the most is probably what's going to happen to you. And if you tolerate fear a lot, then you're going to contaminate your faith, which is your ability to take hold of what grace has made available. And it all starts because of, of condemnation. You won't receive who you are. I'm the righteousness of God. I don't care what happened to me. I am the righteousness of God. That helps me to get the new download, to get over any temptation, to behave any other way except according to my identity. And if you make a bad decision, you get in the word, you get that new download, you renew your mind with it, and you say, Father, I'm, I'll do better the next time. Praise God. But you were never supposed to allow that bad behavior or that misbehavior to now tell you that you are not the new creation and now to tell you that you are as you behave. See, that's what's happened. We've allowed people to even tell our young people you are as you behave. And I'm saying you are not as you behave. Just because you didn't behave a certain way doesn't mean you identify with your behavior. You don't identify with your behavior. You identify with the word of God. Now let's go back to Romans, Romans 6. Now, you know, when you go back, you go back to your place and start teaching this, you got it. That's why I'm giving you these scripts. People are going to look at you like you, I'm out of, what, what you say? Because what people are looking for is try to have their cake and eat it too. Uh, they're going to try to say, well, you know, since, since I'm delivered from sin, I'm just going to keep on sinning. They don't understand. No, you're not. Because when you recognize the new you in you and you start feeding the new you with the word that lines up with the new you, it's going to change the way you think and you're not going to be doing what you used to do. You ain't going to want to do what you used to do. 
See, God got this grace to such a point, not even a fool, F-O-O-L, can mess this up. Not even a fool can mess this up. Because even if you do something crazy, grace is still going to be exalted for getting you out of all that craziness. If sin is greater than, if, if, if sin uh, is so powerful then, and that it's greater than grace, then grace ain't nothing. Sin will never be greater than grace. Whatever sin can happen, grace is going to be much better. But the notion is, I go ahead and sin because I have grace. No, I can't. Why? Because I don't have that nature to yield to anymore. Now, I can refuse to renew my mind, and that's going to be miserable because you're going to be in conflict with your true self the whole time. And so every time you do something, uh, sin consciousness is going to be there to try to get you not to trust God. Before you know it, you'll question your identity. All right, verse 7, uh, verse 8, verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died, how many times? Unto sin, unto sin nature. He died unto sin nature once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon you, reckon, reckon, reckon. That's an interesting word. Reckon. Uh, I reckon. It, when you reckon something, uh, what you're saying is, I reckon I got $10 in the drawer in the kitchen. Because it's true that you do have $10 in the drawer in the kitchen. That's why they use the word reckon. It's an accounting term. It is saying that I'm saying this because it's the truth. <laughs> he says, likewise, it is true that you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin because you are dead to sin, the sin nature, but you're alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin nature therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield yourself members as instruments of unrighteousness unto the sin nature, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So you're not yielding to the sin nature because he ain't there no more. For the sin nature shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. The law governed the sin nature because there was no possibility for the new creation to be in in that age. So there, there was necessity of the law to govern the sin nature. It had to be just like that to govern that sin nature. It was like, you know, you kill somebody, you're gonna be killed. You know, something that, that the flesh would be able to at least pay attention to. <laughs> All right. Um, verse 15. Now watch this. What then? Shall we sin actions? Shall we actually do something to sin? That's the verb. Shall we action sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? So here's what he said. Shall we commit sin actions because we're under grace now? And that's what it would appear to be. Well, you're telling us all this stuff, but shall we commit sin actions under grace? Um, verse 16, know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants you are to whom you obey. Now, remember what we started off with? Who, whatever, whatever doctrine you're listening to, that's what you're going to be a servant of. And he says here right now, 
the actions of sin or not sinning will be as a result of what you are listening to and what you are paying attention to or will be the result of the downloads that you receive. The doctrine downloads in your life will determine if you're going to behave one way or another way. The doctrine downloads. Then he goes on here and he says, uh, I'll go down to verse 18. Being then made free from, being, being made free from the sin nature, the old man, you became the servants of righteousness instead of the servants of the old man. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity or weaknesses of your flesh. For as you, and see, we get the idea when we see flesh, we like, oh, our body's weak. No, 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 no. Your body is just like the, 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 the you got the hardware. The hardware does not work without the software. Your body just does what it's told. The flesh here is not referring to your body, it's referring to your way of thinking. Okay? Uh, ba, 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 ba. Instruments of your way of thinking, for as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield yourself members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were servants of sin nature, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death? But now being made free from sin nature and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness. You see what he just said? That's so awesome. It says now that you are free from the nature of sin and you now have the new creation on the inside of you, you can now bear fruit because you got the root that'll give you love, joy, peace, and all the stuff that you couldn't get because with the sin nature, it didn't have that stuff to give you. You got a new root, and now you can, you can bear fruit unto holiness. And so the day you got saved, you got holy. The process is bringing what's invisible that you already are out so they can visibly see the holiness that you have always been. You're bearing fruit. You're fruit bearers now. For the wages of sin nature, this is what sin nature is paying, is death. But the gift of God, according to that new creation, is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That reconciles the sin issue. Are there any questions? Real transformation happens when you discover who we really are in Christ. There's no real transformation. Now, here's the deal. person gets born again, but they don't, they're not transformed. Why? They, they have not repented concerning who they used to be. They had not changed their mind about who they used to be. If you don't change your mind about who you used to be, if you still go around saying you're a sinner and you don't believe you're perfect, you don't believe you have God's nature in you, you don't believe you have the new creation in you, you will not see transformation. Because repentance is all about changing your mind concerning your identity.
That's it. If you don't change your mind concerning your identity, then you haven't repented and the behavior will, and the beat will keep going on. Having the right of belief about yourself equals real repentance. There's no change of behavior. No change of behavior is the fruit of repentance. A change of behavior is the fruit of repentance, excuse me. As long as real repentance doesn't take place, the change behavior might not last. Real transformation happens when we discover who we really are. Transformation starts with believing right. Change of belief comes first. And as we change our mind about who we are, as we change our belief about who we are, the fruit of repentance will be changed behavior. Now, here's a question. How real, how does real transformation take place? One word, focus. Focus. Whatever we focus on the most is what we give strength to. Christ, uh, Paul was clear in, first, in Corinthians, um, Colossians chapter 1, 27, 28, Paul was real clear about what our focus should be on. Christ and Christ in us. That's our focus. That's what I focus on. Some crazy thing happened, I'm in Christ, all is well. Money don't come in, I'm in Christ, all is well. Talking about you, I'm in Christ, all is well. That's my focus. My focus is me in Christ. My focus is not just me. My focus is me in Christ. No matter what goes on in my life, my life is, is focused on me in Christ. Me without being in Christ, that's, that's crazy. It's not going to work. My focus is me in Christ. Amen. We are being transformed by seeing Christ in us and by focusing on him. This is true for every area of our lives. We see what Christ did, we focus on what Christ did, and we're in Christ. We're, that's the focus. You spend too much time with you. You're not gonna change like that. You can't change yourself. You have to focus on who you are in Christ. You keep focusing on who you are. You know, I need, I need, I need, uh, I need to get a life. I need this, you need, you need Jesus. You gotta focus on who you are in Christ. All of your issues, all your problems, all your idiosyncrasies, all of, all of, all of that stuff, you got to focus on who you are in Christ. That's how transformation takes place. That's how, that's how holiness that you can't see in your life comes. You're focused on who you are in Christ. This is who I am in Christ. You need to remind yourself, you need to remind, remind the devil every day. There shouldn't be a day go by that you don't remind yourself, I'm in Christ, I'm the righteousness of God, all is well. When I pray, I'm praying in Christ, all is well. When I make my confessions, I'm making them in Christ, all is well. Oh, I know this thing happened, but I'm in Christ, all is well. Everything's good, because I'm in Christ, all is well. I guarantee you, preachers will start doing that. We, we look at, we're, we're distracted by so many little problems. All this stuff happened like you, the only one got an issue like that, and somebody's probably got a bigger issue than you. You focus on who you are in Christ. All is well, I'm in Christ. Okay, let the little sin questions come on. Let's roll them on out. Good 
do it. I'm expecting these questions to come. Bring it on. Come on, Cletus. It ain't but a shot walk. Bring it on. Yes, sir. Once the sin uh, nature is gone, um, Romans six thirteen is saying, "Yield your members as instrument of righteousness." Uh, if the sin nature is gone and the person uh, is not yielding his members, or if, if, if let's say someone who is watching pornography and his signature is gone. What what is going to keep him from watching pornography? He's got to renew his mind from concerning that. Yeah, it's like, you know, you can sit up there and watch porn all day. Now, here's the problem. You have a new nature in you now. Before you got the new nature, you can watch porn without any conviction or any of those things. But now you have the new creation on the inside of you, he is constantly going to try to convince you there's something better than this. You're trying to get something out of these pictures uh, to replace me. There's something better than this. The Holy Spirit is going to be talking the whole time. In fact, if you're not careful as a Christian man or woman, you indulge in stuff like that. It's all designed to try to keep you out of the Word. It's trying to it's trying to make you think you can get some form of intimacy. It's all about replacing God. Now that you have him, Satan's thing is, what can I do to get you to knock God out of first place in your life and make something else first place? The issue is not just porn. The issue is idolatry, that this thing now sits in a place where God used to sit. And the Spirit of God is God. See, we, we have the notion that the Holy Ghost is not going to be there walking us through this whole thing. He's going to give us all types of unctions. He's going to talk to us. He may mess stuff up. He may make it where you can get caught by everybody and it all come to the church website and we see exactly where it came <laughs> from and stuff like that. He is not going to sit back and allow you to be, uh, to, 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 for, for sin to cheat on him. He's going to fight for you every step of the way. But your part is renewing your mind saying, you know, I'm going to get in the Word. I'm, I'm going to allow the Word of God to renew my mind where intimacy is concerned. I'm going to allow the Word of God to renew my mind. And see, here's the thing about grace. I can't explain this part, but when the grace of God is working in you, you ain't going to want to do that. You're going to find, I'm, I'm going to tell you every, time you, every time you do something that violates the, your knowledge of the grace of God, you're just not going to be interested anymore. Remember the Bible says grace will teach you how to live righteous. Grace will teach you how to live holy. So you got the spirit of grace working on the inside of you, snatching stuff out of your desire compartment. And then you pray, Lord, there are a couple of things you do. Looking at pornography is obviously going to tell you after you finish watching it, oh, I'm just not holy. And that's when you have to remind yourself, I'm the righteousness of God. It's an attack on your identity so you can go ahead and have no problems with uh, sticking with your behavior but you behave that way, I guarantee you, if you, you, if you I had a, had a guy I was counseling, he was uh, hooked on grass, smoking weed. 
used to call it grass. It's not grass anymore. That's like really 1970s, yes. right? Smoking grass. <laughs> um, smoking weed. And I said, listen, every time you think about it, I want you to say out loud with your mouth, I'm the righteousness of God. He says, well, what if I buy it? I said, say, I'm the righteousness of God. He said, what if I roll it? Say, I'm the righteousness of God. He said, what if I light it? I say, say, I'm the righteousness of God. He did that. And then he said, he took it and puffed it and blew it out and said, man, wait a minute. I'm the righteousness of God. Threw it down. That was it. Said, what happened? He said it enough until he eventually started believing it. And once he believed he was the righteousness of God, his identity in righteousness changed his behavior. That happens with everything. Amen. Oh, glory to God. Amen. Yes, 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 yes. Wow. And um, Daniel, so I call you back to stand as we talk. I want to thank you for bringing light to my theological confusion. I was in cemetery. Um, I was thought about the peccability of Christ. We were arguing about the Calvin theology and Minion theology about once And there was this scripture that Jesus knew no sin. What now? Jesus, he knew no sin. That was from 2 Corinthians 5.21. Mm -hmm. Therefore, he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hearing what you're saying right now, just tell me my, my thinking is about, like I was thinking, okay, well, I get one saved, always saved, and you continue to sin? Okay, how do we reconcile that? Okay. that this theology... See what you're doing? <laughs> he who knew... No, no sin, sin. nature. The nature. He did not have the nature in him to sin. That's when he said, Satan comes by but finds nothing in me. So now I identified that. I want to say thank you, sir. Now I, my theology is now complete. And now I understand my position in God, my position in him. God bless you, sir. You know, the interesting thing about that, even though he didn't have the nature of sin, he also was a free moral agent. He could have sinned if he wanted to. Didn't want it. Adam did, the first Adam did. The last Adam could have did the same thing. And the most powerful thing that Satan used to try to get Jesus to sin was the spirit of mammon. I'm gonna show you all the stuff you can have and I'll give it to you if you're willing to pay this price. Yeah, this mammoth stuff going to be heavy. All right, good thing. So your table is set, huh? Pastor, I, I, want, I, want, I, want you, I want you to see the scripture and maybe make a comment on it. Okay. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 in the message translation. Mm -hmm. It's going to teach you something about translations. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's the problem. So what do we do? 
keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? Next verse. I sure hope not. Now, this is what I like. And this is what Pastor Dara has been telling us. If we have left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? You left the country. How can you go back to the house and live there? It's not possible. That's what he's been telling us. Next verse. Keep on. Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? You are here from Freetown City alone. Can you go back and live in Freetown now? Okay. <laughs> Now, look at what it says. That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came out, when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of where? Grace. A new life in a new land. Just believe it. Be careful of these translations sometimes, though. Correct. Because it's not sinning. Yes. It's sin nature. Sin nature, the old man. Yeah. It will still, sometimes you have to be careful. They draw very awesome analogies and pictures, which is what this does. But you want to make sure that the context is correct or you'll end up in the wrong application and it prolongs it you take a longer time getting down to the bottom level of it. Like, for example, John chapter 12 talks about that um, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto thee. Yep. But the subject is judgment. Correct. And even though they're right around the corner right there, yeah. uh, it took years to realize it was talking about he was lifted up and he draw all of our, drew all of our judgment on him so we would not be judged because he was judged for all of our judgment. Amen. Well, if we didn't get the context of that scripture, then we would spend all of our lives saying stuff like, well, Jesus, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. So he's going to draw everybody to salvation. Everybody going to be born again. And that's not what he's talking about. And yet, even in a roundabout way, somewhere down the line, that may come into play. But sometimes gaining the context, sometimes I have to go back and read the whole book in order to get the context of it. And now reading the whole Bible has given me the context of faith worketh by love. And I'm whole time trying to figure out, well, faith worketh by love. But the context of the whole Bible is faith worketh by me believing that God loves me. Uh, so you can see, you, you'll, be, you'll, you'll, you'll come up with a principle that says faith works by love, as if you're saying that, you know, I got to walk in love in order for faith to work. Uh, but what it really means is if I can believe that God loves me, then I can believe what he says to me. So faith works by me believing that God loves me, because in Deuteronomy, when they didn't believe, they rebelled, and they thought that God hated them. So the 
as you read the word and you ask yourself, who's saying this? When was it said? Was it uh, issued before the cross, after the cross? Where's the context of this whole thing? Because if you take, like I said before, the text out of the context, you're left with a con. And, and I am all excited about people coming up with these wonderful revelations of what they think it may mean. But before you go into the revelation and the colorful display in your sermon, make sure you take care of the context of it first. And then you can go on down the line because sometimes you'll share a revelation and it's out of the context and people will conclude that that's exactly what it meant and never get a hold. That's, what, that's why it took us so long to get a hold of the gospel of grace because we were busy, you know, illustrating around it. Uh, you'll, you'll see when I talk about mammon, you will, I will show you, <laughs> I will show you where Jesus said, if you cannot be trusted with money, don't think you can trust me to heal you. Don't think you can trust me to deliver you. Don't you think you can trust me with anything? You are deceived because you can't trust me with money. The problem is he didn't use the word money. He used the word least. And in context, the least refers to money. And if you don't get the context of it, you'll ask yourself, what does money have to do with anything? And Jesus says it has something to do with everything. He says it's not the issue of the money, it's the issue of, of the trust. And what Jesus is saying is money is the very least in the kingdom of God. And if you can't trust me with the least in the kingdom of God, which is why he used the word least, if you, can, you, don't, if you can't trust me with the least issue in the kingdom, why do you think you can trust me to heal you and you can't even trust me where giving and receiving is concerned? And that affects every area of your life because it is an area that Jesus stood over the offering and commented over, went in the fields and used analogies to come in over. He kept talking about this whole money issue over and over and over again. And now we got people mad at talking about money and the reason why is because it's an issue of trust, which again, 95% of the church has no clue. And when a guy gets up and says, you ought not to ever preach on money or say anything about it, he has no idea that he has fallen into the hands of the spirit of mammon, a demon spirit that has influenced him to never say anything about it. Therefore, people never know how to operate according to what Paul had to say about giving on money. They'll never know. And so now they, 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 they wonder why I can't get results in healing, why I can't get results in the weightier matters of life is because you're not paying attention to the one area that qualifies you for everything. Trust is the currency in the kingdom, not money. Money's the test to see where your trust is. This is amazing, it's amazing. This is serious, this is serious stuff here, man. Praise God. I want to thank God for this message. I was really blessed. We have had the truth about our identity. We need to go forth, act out what God said about us. I just want to say something. I would, uh, uh, Pastor talk about interpreting the scripture from the context. And I just begin to look at what really happened when Jesus said, you shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. I look at it that it was the same issue that was in this course. 
If you look at John chapter 8, it was about the woman that was caught in adultery. Then Jesus asked them to throw stone at her, if anybody, and nobody could do that. Then later, the identity of Jesus was challenged. And Jesus keep on emphasizing his identity. Then he said to them that they would die in their sin. The faith then says, shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So I, I begin to think about that. We need to constantly study the scripture to know who we are in God. And then consciously walk in it. And as a pastor was teaching, I now saw that the only evidence of the old man in us is our flesh. Nothing changed when we are born again. So, pastor said something again. He said, we need to renew our mind, talking about downloading. And, and we need to see that we can live a life free of sin. All we need to do is to get ourselves to, to, to download the correct doctrine, teaching. Then update ourselves, just as we have come today. We have come to update. Some of us have come to receive a, remove the, the, the old something and receive the old program and reprogram ourselves and then update ourselves. So I want to say I'm really blessed and I'm learning something about this Paul issue, the, um, uh, <laughs> sinning, getting to understand some usage of words in the scripture. Then you just take all the, the words that are used and take them to be the same thing. to generalize. Yeah. So, Pastor, thank you. I'm very blessed. Mm -hmm. God bless you. You know that um, that whole issue of this whole new creation is a result of the grace of God. Grace is the truth that'll make us free from bad behavior. And if we can see what grace, the truth of God's grace in this area, is He's graced us with the new creation and a new identity to make us free from the sin nature and what it, what it has done. Grace is the truth. It's the truth that sets us free in every area. Grace, whatever area, wherever there's bondage, grace is the truth that'll set you free from that bondage. Whatever a person's going through, grace is the truth that'll set you free from it. Thomas says, I have lack. Do you know I've discovered there's a grace of giving that's involved, that'll set you free, that even in the midst of deep poverty, the grace of God was on this particular church, and as they gave glory to God because they needed to give, nobody sees the rest of that story as connected. They started giving cheerfully, and God declared they have now been graced to give in that certain way, and they'll lack nothing. They'll have nothing that they'll ever need because of the way that they get. There's nothing in our life where bondage is concerned that grace being the truth won't handle it. There's certain things we don't even know until we see grace as the truth in those particular. Grace is the truth. Someone says, well, the, you know, the, the truth is the word of God. The truth is the word of grace. Grace is the truth. That thing hit me one day. Grace is the truth. It's the truth for everything that concerns me. Grace is the truth. So we went back and looked at all of the stuff that was wrong, like marriage, like equality. Grace became the truth that sets things free. Whatever you face in your life, grace is the truth. It is the truth that sets things free. It set those Jewish people Jesus talked to free from the law. 
They got set free because grace was the truth that set them free from the law. Well, I didn't know what that was. I just went around, well, if you continue my word and you'll be my disciples indeed and you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Let me see how I used to interpret that. Uh, if you continue word. So you got to continue in the word of God. You continue in the word of God and you'll know the truth of the word of God. No precision at all. No precision at all that, that, that came down to saying the truth of, of this was the grace, the word of God on grace. I can't say in general anymore. I've got to say the word of God on grace because I've said the word of God is the truth the whole time, but there was just some stuff in here that wasn't true. Unless I had grace with it. Paul telling that lie about he has offended no man and all the other kind of stuff. That was a lie. That wasn't no truth. But in grace and in Christ, it's the truth. Man, I tell you, this is, this is deep stuff. Love it. Praise God. Uh, I'm so glad. I'm happy that we are upgrade. But I just want to be upgrade in some kind of ministry that is very dynamic. One of the mark authentic stuff. When Jesus was going, he said, this sign shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out them. Shall lay hands on the sea. I believe is what grace has given us as ministers to partake. Would you look at this? Because we minister in the area where we have to operating this time because and I found out that a lot of ministers they don't want to delve into this area. Even among believers, you see sometimes because of this lack of understanding of the identity we see believers at times in bounds and we believe God has also raised us as ministers to help Thank God for this downloading. And I want to balance it. I want it to balance it with me. But sometimes God also wants the world to see us demonstrate how the grace is. Amen. I want you to balance it in the area of we as ministers operating in that dimension of ministry deliverance to the opera and also balancing with the teaching mm -hmm. so that we will not walk in hell at the same time we will not run down this teaching of grace I hope that question is I think so let me take a shot at it and then kind of help me make sure I'm going the Bible you know he says you, you lay hands on the sick, they get healed, uh, cast out devils, uh, you can raise the dead. Now here's, here's the thing, I'm so glad you, you brought this up. I gotta teach on this. Authority has been given to us through God's grace. This authority that we have to operate in this authority says this, God has already given us authority 
to cast out devils, to raise the dead, to the, do these powerful things. But instead of us speaking to the situations um, about what Jesus has already done, we go to talking to God, trying to get him to do something about what he's already done. So, so watch me very carefully. I've been by grace given authority to lay hands on sick folk and to see them healed. Now I release that authority right now and I'm not gonna, I think last year I shared about my tailbone, how I, I was speaking to God about talking to him about healing my tailbone instead of talking to my tailbone about what God has already done. I have authority. And sometimes grace doesn't mean becoming um, passive and apathetic. Grace means recognizing all the things that have been given to you by grace. Authority is one of them, which means in the name of Jesus Christ, you devil, I command you to come out in Jesus' name. I have been graced with the authority to command on this planet. I've been graced with the authority to heal the sick. I've been graced with the authority to raise the dead. That's been given to me. That's a favor that God has given to me to operate on earth. Now, certain things that have not happened have not happened because we didn't release our authority for it to happen. Spiritual authority is about enforcing the laws of the spirit. When we enforce what the word of God has said and take authority to do that, then we're operating in the grace that God gave us to do that. Certain things will not happen and have not happened because we have not released our grace given authority to do so. And that's something that people confuse. Grace people think, well, I don't have to do anything, just sit here and be passive. But if God gave me authority by his grace, I'm gonna use that authority. I'm gonna speak to mountains in the name of Jesus. I'm gonna command blessings to show up and do what need to be done. But what am I doing? I am speaking to the situation, the thing, the circumstance, whatever it may be. I'm talking to you about what God's already done and I command you to line up with it right now in Jesus' name. I command it in Jesus' name. I said, I command our church to be full. <laughs> Somebody said, can you do that? I've been graced to do it. Somebody said, well, God is in control. Not right now, he's not. Now he'll come back and get it. But today, you and I are in control of what goes on down here. And if we don't do certain things down here, ain't nothing going to happen unless we release our authority to do so. In fact, I have a teaching that was so very controversial where I went back and looked at how everything was out of line. We assumed that things were in chronological order of how they happened in the Bible. And I showed people how Satan was after the authority that had been given to Adam. That up until then, well, I ain't going to talk about it. It ain't going to do nothing but confusion until I have the time to do it. But yeah, we have authority given to us by the grace of God. And that's what Satan was after, authority. And they gave it to him. They gave him authority. And he had authority over the earth until God could find him a body to get in and come back and rectify that situation a little bit. That whole thing in the garden was over authority. It was over authority. I'll show you what angels got put in chains because they didn't do what God told them to do. And man, I tell you what, this whole Lucifer, Satan thing, 
It's bigger than what we've ever been told. Like a third of the angels fell down. Where you get that from? Ain't but one scripture in the book of Revelation that even mentions a third of anything and it wasn't angels. Where that dog on fable come from? Hmm? <laughs> so I'll just leave it alone. <laughs> Does that answer your question? I hope I answered your question. I it, you addressed it, I, I think, but yes. Okay. It does. It, it, hmm? I mean, because uh, I, I said it does. Okay. It does. It, there is, there is, there is, this area Which that we're talking about. You know, when he talked about uh, helping those who are afraid. So you're talking about deliverance? Deliverance, yes. Okay. I said, I wanted to really balance it. How? We. We've already received the okay. teaching. So, so what he's saying is, taking the gospel of grace message, yes. mm -hmm. how do we in a practical way use it mm -hmm. to help people that are demonically oppressed? Oh. For which huge ministries yeah. have arisen all over Africa. Yeah. I mean, just deliverance ministry. Just, you know, well, the, the greatest, the, yeah, the greatest deliverance ministry in the world is preaching the gospel of grace. <laughs> That's going to deliver them from that. There are going to be times where you have to cast the devil out of people. But a whole ministry in doing that, if you're spending most of your time trying to cast the devil out of people and no time teaching people, the word will deliver you. I'm already delivered. I'm trying to show people that they're already delivered. And the gospel of grace will show people that they're already delivered so they don't have to be wasting time with all this other stuff and they never get delivered anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pastor, unfortunately, what he's speaking to, uh, you know, I, I understand what he's saying, but you've answered it adequately. There's no question about it. Mm -hmm. But he and many other preachers are dealing with a group of people mm -hmm. who sees the preacher as a semi-god. Oh. And they are no longer willing to accept any responsibility oh. for their own situation. So they're looking for a one-time prayer magic yeah. that they can go to and be healed, be set free, and, and never being told about being responsible for yeah. their living. And you just uh, said the answer. You have got to change that through your teaching. Yeah. And so, and so, and so, yeah, you've got to change that. And so unfortunately for these guys, yeah. a lot of churches are set up yeah. as deliverance yeah. ministries. Yeah. And the places are packed. Yeah. Packed. And so, Pastor, I'll answer your question. Yeah, you yeah. cannot look at what's happening. Yeah, yeah. You have to look unto Jesus yeah, 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 yeah. and keep on teaching, preaching the gospel of grace. That's it. You can only be accountable and responsible for the mission he's given you. Yeah. And let all those guys do whatever they want to do. I mean, just, you know, praise God. Pastor Mike. Because the glory ain't on it no more. It ain't going to work anyway after a while. <laughs> They're closing down anyway. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, mine is more of a comment, but I was about to make that comment a question, you know, born out of my mouth, mind of that comment. That comment, the fact that looking at his exposition of First Corinthians, First John, he that is born of God does not sin because the seed is in him and he cannot even sin. And uh, Romans chapter 6, and Romans chapter 6, looking at the nature, the sin nature, and the verb, 
with the act of sin itself. I want to say to myself and confess that for me that's a great deliverance because this teaching is really phenomenal. And uh, it's so critical. I'm not talking of deliverance from the sense of the last part, but truly a great deliverance. Yeah, it's really, really very, you know, liberating. And I was thinking hmm. when the teaching was going on, especially on romance, uh, that this will be carried on again uh, to an aspect in Romans 7. So that's the question part of it that I just, that came up, you know, from uh, this comment that, yeah, wow, my eyes have been opened, great deliverance to truly understand what Paul is teaching, teaching there. So the question that now came out of it in Romans 7 is that how do we describe the state of Paul in writing in Romans 7, verse 19, that for the good that I will, I do not, for the evil which I will not, that I do. Now if I do that, I will not. It is no more high that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I begin to look at, in the context of this, okay, I must also confess that this revelation that we take is gradually sinking in me. I have a feeling that if I go home with this and do a little bit of research in the context of what we have been taught, probably I will have an answer to this question. But I just think that let me just throw it out. Perhaps one will also get you know, further enlightenment as to what is the state of Paul here? What exactly is he saying here? that it is sin that dwelleth in me, okay, and that I find a law that when I will do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man went on and on. But finally, you know, concluded in verse 25 by saying, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself start the love of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The sin right. that dwells in you is that leftover part that when he died right up here, that's that sin that dwells, the flesh. It's that way of thinking. It's that software, that old software that's still dwelling in you. Even though you got saved, you still got that mind that dwelling in you. I thank my God. And because he goes in there and, and moves right into verse eight, and he talks about the difference between the law of the spirit and the law of the flesh. The flesh is a mindset that goes against the word. That's the sin that dwelt, that he was talking about dwelling in him. The spirit is a mindset that lines up with the word. And so Paul started this whole thing out talking about the law of somebody that was married. And he said, uh, as soon as she divorced Mr. Law and married Mr. Grace, he said, I didn't set you free from the law so you can do whatever you wanted to do. I set you free from the law so you can connect with me. And he says, and he started talking, Paul started talking about his relationship with the law and what happened with the law and all of the things that went on when you were went, went with the law. He says, and, and the commandment which I was ordained to life, I found to be under death. That's what the law bought. For the sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it, it, it slew me, the law. Wherefore, the law... It's holy, it's commandment, it's holy, it's just as good, was then that which is good made death unto me. 
He said, God forbid, but sin nature, that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by commandment might become exceeding sinful, the law. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. I'm sold unto sin for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that I do. Here's a guy under the law trying to obey the law, but finds himself not being able to obey the law because you can't do that in your own flesh. Um, if then I do what I would not do, I consent unto me that, that the law is good. Now, then it is no more I, the real me that's born again, that do it, but it's that sin nature that needs to be dealt with. The influence, that's a good word, the influence of, of what was left behind. The remnants. Yeah. The remnants, yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, here's Paul. You know, remember he got his uh, commission and his assignment to do what needs to be done. And here's Paul teaching on what's happening when you're married to Mr. Law versus Mr. Grace. But you have to move into chapter 8 when it talks about, I thank my God. Because what happens as a result of what we're now understanding from the word of God. And let me read that because that religion has done something with uh, Romans 8 and 1 that most people really didn't pay no attention to. Um, Romans 8 and 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That was so weird because they should have italicized that. It was, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. No condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. But I understand what they're trying to do. They were trying to say because out of Christ Jesus, you walk in the flesh, but in Christ Jesus, you're walking in the spirit. For the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. It's what I have gotten as a result of me being in Christ that's made me free. Grace is the truth that makes me free. My way of thinking. It's that same issue of what are you hearing? What doctrine are you listening to that determines? So here's Paul after this road to Damascus experience saying, dude, remember Paul was, a, was, was very proficient in the law. Very, very proficient. But Paul said, man, now that I found this out and, and now that I find out that there's a law to this, how am I going to get free from it? Because I'm going to be sin conscious as long as there's a law telling me this thing. Man, I thought I was free and I really found out I was in bondage because of that law that kept telling me this thing. It created a sin consciousness on the inside of me. And he said, when I thought that I had everything together, it, that flesh on the inside of me, that law has produced this way of thinking on the inside of me, kind of like the Autobahn. I can't enjoy going 90 miles because I'm already been impacted by the law of the speed limit. That's what Paul was talking about. So Paul was talking about getting in Christ makes you free from the law and the dictates of the law? Amen. That's a good question. Yeah. Hi. Um, first and foremost, this is more of an expression of my gratitude that I even, because I almost did not come. 
And I'm so glad that I made it here today because um, the revelation through everything that you've said um, is actually my path because I'm one of those people that my path hunts me and in the process and then I find myself distracted a lot. I'm so distracted, consumed in my path that, or an event that occurred, something happened, just like prevent holds me. So I feel like I can actually liken that on a weed or whatever. So I'm so glad that I came today um, and being there because I had the opportunity to come for about five years and I never, I almost wanted to make an excuse. Five years? Yeah, <laughs> that I've been invited and I never showed up. So I guess this is the time that God really wants me to receive it. So I just want to bless God for your life and thank you so much for impacting the rich word that you've just delivered into my spirit. Thank you. Amen. You have a question? Okay. Oh, just, um, I don't know if it's a ministerial question or not. Can uh, grace be transferred from a spiritual father to a spiritual son? And if so, how can he avail it? That's a good question. Um, when we, we're used to using this term, and I think they're synonymous terms, anointings. Graces on people's lives and anointings on people's lives. You certainly see that with the Elijah, Elijah deal. You see the grace of God operating on his life. And that same grace, even to a greater degree, operating on Elijah's life. You see the blessing operating in Abraham and getting on Lot, who we weren't supposed to be there. Um, the word transfer uh, kind of bothers me a little bit. I don't have a big problem with it. I think more that a person needs to position himself where the spout is, is and, and to receive it, and, and that's with the people that we are associated with. You just can't, you hang around people under the spout, you're gonna be under the spout, some of that same thing's gonna, gonna rub off on you. I mean, it just happens like that, which is why I think, um, I think the connection, the divine connection is so important. Uh, people don't recognize how important that divine connection is you remember when you got into this and we had that talk last year about the divine connection? I mean, that bothered you until you settled it because it was like, <laughs> that's right. It, it's like, it's, it, to me, it's just like the most important thing in the world. It's, it's, it's my seed. It's when things go on, where do I need to put it? Because I thought the seed was the most powerful thing. No, the soil is more powerful because it's, you can put a seed in the ground, but if the soil don't have anything to get it to cause it to grow up, it doesn't do anything. I think it's, I think you, you, you share in those anointings, you share in those graces. I really, I just don't see how you can hang around people that carry a certain grace and not be impacted by it. I just don't think you can. Yeah. No, I'm gonna say he was putting the spirit, his spirit on, on the elders took old spirit and put on elbow so but that applied okay. yeah yeah they had a they had a grace to do all the things that Moses would be able to do where the people are concerned 
certainly just our, 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 our spiritual family, we have a grace to, to deal with this grace thing right now. And so I'd, I'd have to say yes in, in, in a very roundabout way with a lot of scriptures that are coming to my mind right now that there's just something about divine connection that you, you don't want to miss out on. The, the grace of God that was on Brother Copeland came on my life. Uh, the grace of God on my life is being shared with my sons and daughters in the ministry. Um, even these, these, Brother Copeland told me, and he's so right, he says there's going to come a time, three stages of fatherhood, where the son is submitted to the father, where they now come together and establish a friendship, and he says there's going to come a time where you're going to go into the third stage where I need to receive back from you. And I feel like we're in that stage right now because I'm in this place uh, where this revelation of grace is concerned and, and, and he, is, he is receiving from me. He's, he's hearing it. He sits there. He may not sit at 80-something-year-old to listen to anybody else, but when I come and minister, he and Gloria are right there feeding off of it. And he says there's going to come a time you're going to have to feed me like I fed you. And that is a very serious stage because he is saying on that level, you may receive revelation for your generation and if I'm still here, I'm going to need that revelation that I would be That's so good. fortunate to get. I, I think he is, um, he's one of the most honorable men in the world in my book. But when he got up and stood before thousands of people at a convention and said to those people, now, he said, now, if you got a problem with what Creflo Dollar preached last night, you need to go get a tape because he's right and you need to get in the word some more. He said, this is a time for grace. This is a season for grace. And the anointing is on this message. And if you got a problem with it, you need to go ahead and get it fixed and endorse the message. Man, I, I didn't even know I had tears coming out of my eyes because, you know, you want your dad to be able to, you know, get with you on something. You don't want to be way out in the water somewhere. And he got it and he sees it and he, he meditates on it. He listens to it. And I, last time I had a phone call with him, he says, last night I saw you on TV and this is what you said. And I believe it. <laughs> Praise God. I, I think that's so. Yeah. Amen. Wow, that, that is so good. You know, um, we see Moses with uh, Joshua, of course. We see Elijah with Elisha. Then, of course, we see Paul with Timothy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he clearly said mm -hmm. that he should stir up the gifts of God that's within him mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. came to him through the laying out of mm -hmm. his hands. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, you know, there is a place for that impartation. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we should not. Uh, and then, of course, I, I like what Brother Copeland said. Mm -hmm. And the Bible actually supports that. Mm -hmm. Because what's first in the natural becomes first, it, becomes, it comes to pass in the spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife's mother just left her home a, a couple of days ago. This is a woman who nurtured my wife, taught my wife, grew my wife. And then, of course, it is time for us now to take care of her mm -hmm. and to give back to her what she's given to us. So you can see how that works in the natural and so if it happens in the natural, good. are we thinking it's not possible in the spirit? Of course it is possible in the spirit. That the father who's taught you over the years, a time comes, like Brother Copeland explained, mm -hmm. when now he may have to sit and receive back from you. Mm -hmm. All of us as parents is looking for that time when our kids can be a blessing to us physically so. Mm -hmm. But I believe the same is also true in the spirit. Mm -hmm. And it's happening already. Yeah, we thank God for that. Good. good. Can we just take a break? Give, okay, go ahead.
this book is here. I didn't know it was out here. I checked on it in lunch. It's the gender role book uh, that Taffy wrote. We got a few copies out there. You want to get it. So. Buy them all up. Amen. So when do we come back from break? I mean, 15 minutes. Okay. All right. Mammon. Right. <laughs>